But like, would you pay one cent to listen to any song you wanted to at that moment? No. I would pay $9.99 a month. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, $9.99 a month. How many songs do you think you listen to in a month? You think you listen to 999 songs every month? No. More or less? Less. So you're paying more. You're paying more for less. <laughs> Not you're paying more for less. But like, I, there's a big difference between paying one cent every time you listen and playing a fat, flat fee. But artists aren't even getting a cent per listen from Spotify. And we're out here paying Spotify more than a cent for how much we listen. Now, that's a really good point. And, and you it's know just what? wrong. <laughs> I think they're making money off of it. <gasps> you think so? <laughs> I, think, I think it's a racket. I think it's a rat. Because you know what? The people who keep the money don't even make the music. I think it's a racket. I think they're making money off of other people's work. You heard it here first. Wait, that's not giving. The more I think about it, the less I can stand it. That's not right. class if you would open your books to page 237 we'll get started with another episode of we love that i'm kenyon and i'm jerome and i hope everyone did the reading because this week <laughs> there's much to discuss <laughs> Same. Good to see you. Good to see you, queen. Good to be seen. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. <laughs> Scrumptious over there, okay. Delicious. <laughs> Absolutely delicious and nutritious. Wow. I love nourishment. Nourishment is hey. really the new rubric for me. Okay. You're right. That's what's, true. What's going to nourish? What's going to sustain? What is cultivating? Yeah, what's going to fill? <laughs> but also benefit. Mm. Not fill with nonsense, wow. but to fill with substance. To inspire. Ooh. And to perspire. <laughs> Welcome back to We Love That. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Kenyon, how are you doing? I'm good. No, I'm feeling all those things, mostly the perspiration, because apparently... <laughs> Though it's winter time, it's February. California has forgotten that the global climate crisis has. It's like seventy something outside, and the flowers are blooming, and it's like, well, it feels great to go outside, but it's also like, wait, no, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I. We honestly have been feeling some of that as well, like. You know, in February, it's like one day in February and it's 50 degrees and all the white people are, they're tanning their <laughs> shorts and a t-shirt. Out there on cross campus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've been having, I don't, like, there is still some snow on the ground, but it's been like in the 40s, which here feels really like, you know, that's 30 degrees warmer than... <laughs> It had been regularly, so that it really is an improvement. That's very swinter. Talking about swinter. It's so swinter. It's ski and snowball fight time and also fly a kite time. So yes. cold and sunny, yes, that right. That, that cold and sunny, yes, that's right. I'm talking about swinter. And that's a rhyme, honestly, for you there. I know. I love that. I love that. Mm. Um as I gaze out as you gaze out into the world uh, what do you see out. what moments what do i see okay well this this little piece came across our desk just last week soon after recording last <laughs> week's uh, yes. episode uh here 
again at We Love That Studios. It came across the We Love That desk. Um, and they have announced the casting of the upcoming movie adaptation of The Color Purple Musical, which is a musical adaptation of a movie, which is an adaptation <laughs> of a book. So mm. it's a movie of a musical of a movie of a book. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll forgive that because there are really some really, really fantastic people involved in this project. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. Oh, it's so excited. Well, first, before we even get to the cast, we have to talk about the production team. Here are some of the executive producers on this project. Alice Walker and her daughter, feminist writer, Rebecca Walker. Yes. Steven Spielberg, Quincy Jones, Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Blitz Bazawule is directing, who was one of the directors on Black is King. <laughs> Work. <laughs> like, it's giving slay. It's uh, very right. Imagine just trying to schedule that that executive producer meeting of Oprah and I, uh, Quincy and Stephen. <laughs> that is great. That is really great. That's really great. Um... But, I mean, let's get into the cast. Thank you. First of all, Fantasia is playing Seely. That is so good. It It is as it should be. It is absolutely yeah. right. All is right with the world. I'm so happy for her because she deserves her flowers. Yes. Uh, I'm so happy for her. I'm so happy. <laughs> I could cry. <laughs> I'm so, so, <laughs> so... Happy for her. America, she's America's idol. I mean, that's true. Back when it really mattered. Back when it really mattered. Um, so Fantasia as CLE, Danielle Brooks as Sophia. I saw Danielle Brooks in it on Broadway, and she's Babe. great. Yeah. Um, Coleman Domingo, Halle Bailey, Taraji P. Henson, her. These are all stars. <laughs> <laughs> I love Coleman Domingo. I okay, think that I thought he you is would say brilliant. That. I think that he is a shining star. I thought that you would say that because I do you know about this upcoming Coleman Domingo vehicle? What? In the Bayard Rustin biopic. You're kidding me. <laughs> You're kidding me right now. Well, yes. So then, okay, now let's talk about the producers on this little project. Um, the two lead producers, executive producers, you know, just a little. Just a little up and coming couple in the film mm. industry, Barack and Michelle Obama. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, directed by George C. Wolf. Yes. Okay, but the screenplay is by George C. Wolf and Dustin Lance Black. And that kind of is giving <laughs> chaos to me. <laughs> but I'm here for it. <laughs> I wish I could see that. I, I do. <laughs> no, I really do. Um, um, but wow. I'm here for it. Yes, Coleman Domingo is Bayard Rustin. Chris Rock is in this movie. Audrey McDonald is in this movie. Adrian Warren is in this movie. It's kind of giving. Okay. About time Bayard got his flowers. Um, but yes, I love Coleman Domingo. Now, when we first saw this casting for The Color Purple, you said that if such a thing was possible, which clearly it is, then how come we don't get the right casting every time? No, it really is that way. Like, why is it always like, ooh, I hope that they give us the right people. Like, just put the people who will be good in the, like, <laughs> Fantasia's amazing. She's a star. She won American Idol. She's incredibly talented. She did the role. These are all reasons why... She is a great choice, and they made a great choice. So anytime that they don't make... Well, you know, it's really making me think about watching The Prom and being like, oh, like, you know, it's fine that it's James Corden because blah, blah, blah. Mm, And I'm mm. like, actually, no, I'm the clown because they could have... They can always make the perfect decision. They just don't. They. Absolutely, at they. Um, 
I I mean, okay, scheduling is a thing. Sometimes people Boo. are booked. Boo. You know, booked and busy. Boo. <laughs> um but it like it makes such a difference when you get when you get the who's supposed to be there if you get the room right. Yeah. Um so I'm so excited. I really am. I'm incredibly excited. I'm incredibly excited. Um okay. Speaking of movies, Kenyon, do you know what happened uh, at 5.18 a.m. Pacific time <laughs> yesterday? Uh, yes, I was awake and just starting my day then when I saw that the Oscar nominations had come out. Oh, yes. Your favorite, favorite, favorite topic. <laughs> Award show. Woo. Um. Kenyon, I'm going to tell you everything that you need to know about the Oscars. All right. Okay. Thank you. And you, what do you know? Have you heard, what have you heard? I have heard not a thing. You don't know anything Not a thing you could say. Not a thing you could do. Okay, great. Okay. (laughs) Oh, the things you can think. (laughs) Anywho. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, the first category that we have to talk about is best original song because you know who's nominated. Beyonce. <laughs> and that is right. Wow. It was about time. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. Elof just texted me earlier today to be like, oh, all the girls on Twitter are like, Beyonce's coming for her EGOT. She only has a Grammy. And this is her first Oscar nomination. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I'm 100% okay with that. I feel like there's been a, a trend to a trend uh, or just a little feeling of like you know people who egot quickly as if somehow that's better when it's like right. wait if i had a sustained career of importance and i gathered up those four <laughs> those four awards across six decades i feel like that's actually more iconic you know what i'm saying then yes. if your one project gets adapted and then adapted again and you you win for one thing yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that, I mean, I don't know who is fueling all of this EGOT talk. Certainly it's not me. Couldn't. But, I mean, it used to be that there were only, you know, eight people who had it. <laughs> um, but there have been so many additional, there have been so many people added in the last couple of years that it kind of has begun to feel like, oh, well, just anyone can EGOT. I mean, I will say that, like, I love John Legend, but it is kind of strange to me that he has egot it. Because that doesn't quite make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. LOL. Um, so Beyonce is nominated. It's a pretty stacked category. Um because speaking of egotting, Lin Manuel is nominated. Okay. And okay. He has the EGT mm-hmm. and is waiting for the O. Um, Billie Eilish is nominated, has and that would be obviously her first Oscar. Okay. <laughs> She's six years old. Um <laughs> now the queen, Diane Warren, is also nominated. Yes. And what is funny about Beyonce, Lin Manuel, Miranda, Billie Eilish, and Diane Warren is that None of them have an Oscar, though this is Diane Warren's 13th nomination. (laughs) Wait, first of all, what is she nominated for? And second of all, what should she have won for already? What? That Diane Warren is absolutely iconic. Writing across genre, across across time, across space. Okay. (laughs) Across time. (laughs) (laughs) It's I she's she is the songwriter, okay? Incredible. She's the songwriter. Okay. Um, other interesting tidbits. or Okay, first, other things we love to see. Ariana DeBose, Best Supporting Actress. Amazing. Um, I mean, I think that's a lock. She is really talented. <laughs> it is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think I told you that I finally watched King Richard. Ooh. Um, which I thought was really quite good. Will Smith is nominated. 
Um, also, Anjanu Ellis, who plays their mom, Same. is nominated. Yes. And she is really yes. good. Yes. <laughs> She's really good. Um, Kristen Stewart got nominated. That's great. Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, there's a little fun piece of trivia that um, there are two couples nominated where both both people in the couple are nominated across all four uh, acting categories. What? So Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz oh, work. are both nominated for best lead actor and actress. And then Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are both nominated in supporting actor and actress. Okay. But that's kind of fun. <laughs> all right. Marriage. Um, we have <laughs> <laughs> marriage and talent. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there are of course some snubs. Um, only one. I I'd say the there are three types of snubs that I'm going to talk about. One of them I think is a real genuine snub. One of them is oh, I would have liked to see something for this movie, but I'm not sure that I would call it a snub because the Oscars do not. You know, there is a very Thin focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one that people are calling a snub, but I actually don't think is a snub. I just think this person is famous and was in a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the true snub is passing. No awards, mm. no nominations for passing, which I think is cuckoo. I thought Tessa Thompson was great. I thought Ruth Nega was great. I still have not seen it, but I really need to. I thought it was really quite good. So I was surprised to see that. Um, nothing for Zola. What? Uh, speaking of Coleman Domingo. Work. I mean, as we have already established, I love Coleman Domingo and he was so good in Zola. And Zola was just so good. And I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, blah, you know, blah, it's blah. one of those things where it's like, <laughs> I do believe it, but what a great opportunity it would have been to, like, shine a light on a different movie and a different story. But, you know, it is what, it, you know, I just, we can't like, expect too much. Right. You really can't expect too much. And I've, maybe this is me giving up on award shows, as has been the trend of the last <laughs> couple of years. I just have stopped looking to them to fulfill my desires. <laughs> Very that. Um, and then there's the thing that people are calling a snub, which I actually don't think is a snub, which is that Lady Gaga did not get nominated for House of Gucci. Mm-hmm. And that is because that movie is bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Mix Gaga. Oh, absolutely. And I actually thought she was really good in the movie, but you can only do so much. The movie was not very good. You can but only this is the th- do so much. That's a word for someone out there today. Me, absolutely. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that there were some movies that were nominated that I have already decided I have no interest in seeing. <laughs> um, and one of the... But now I'm like, maybe I should. But no, I shouldn't because I don't care. And one of them is your favorite, Dune. Okay, let's not just say it's my favorite. i mean i was i was glad that i went to go watch it in theaters but i don't think i'll ever watch it outside of a theater (laughs) (laughs) so um wait question did dev patel get nominated for anything for any for the green knight is that this year or is that last year i think that was last year. interesting how time kind of does that thing Uh uh-huh uh-huh. Interesting. You know what? I actually think that was this year. Yeah. That would that would have been eligible this year and no. Tragedy. Um so what say you? Will you be uh will you be watching? Are you throwing your hat in the ring for a possible hosting gig? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be busy that day. Okay. Um the last thing that's going on in the world, I just wanted to follow up on something that we talked about last week, which is which has to do with Joseph on Mix Spotify, the mm. demon app. Um, 
there's just been this thing where, I mean, obviously Joe Rogan is, I can't talk about him. Blech. <laughs> Um, but this thing has been happening where like people will do something and by that. I mean, like often it's non black people doing something racist and then apologizing <laughs> for it. And then white people ex accepting their apology. <laughs> now, what is that? Do you want the real answer or the fake answer? I'll take both. For 200. <laughs> wow, double jeopardy. <laughs> um, I have no fake answers for you. I don't even know why I gave that as an, as an option. <laughs> I really think that's just like people not, not knowing how to sit in discomfort. You know what I'm saying? And just like, this is an uncomfortable situation. Someone has done something wrong. And how can we as quickly as possible get this to a place that we can say that it is resolved? Well, I can step in and accept this apology. That wasn't meant for me. Yeah. It's, it's like we've, we're so quickly moving through. Like now when there's a scandal, there's a gaffe. When there's a, like someone has said something that they shouldn't have said and they're issuing an apology. It's, well, for white people, it's like... And now we're quickly moving through the stages of like, you know, I feel like there's a publicist guide to <laughs> what to do when your star uses a racial epithet, you know, and very like, crisis management. And once we've checked this box, then we can immediately go into the next box and like does not actually acknowledge that like asking for forgiveness and atoning for something that you've done wrong is not something that just happens instantly. Like, apologies are not accepted simply because they are issued. Truly. Truly. And they certainly should not be accepted by people who, <laughs> like, <laughs> were not in the offended body. Like, like, I am happy to sit and have, well, not happy, but, like, it is a different thing to sit and have a conversation with some black person who's like... I don't care that Joe Rogan said the N-word 70 times or whatever. Like, I still like him. Like, that's a different kind of conversation right, to have. Right, I don't need to see white people on Twitter being like, you know what, Joe? Like, it's okay. We get, we know where your heart was. I'm like, that's the issue. <laughs> Y'all do know where his heart was. In racism. <laughs> and I think that's that on that. I don't know. I mean, apologies take time. Newsflash, I yeah. guess. Dear white people, <laughs> don't accept apologies ever. <laughs> and especially not during Black History Month. <laughs> it is just so easy to be swept up in the mess of it all. Very that. With everyone's out here tweeting and posting and making mistakes, you know, as people do. As people I just, do. I just didn't need to see it. And you know... For me, that just, I just need to get off of these platforms. You know what I'm saying? Hey. Like, I hey. actually don't, <laughs> I don't need to see this at all. Hey. Good night. <laughs> and good luck. Kenyon, why don't you tell us what we're doing today? Ooh, I'm excited about this. I'm always excited. I'm always Work. like, we get to the thing and I'm like, I am excited. Okay. Anywho, someone Slay. got this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we are doing a little, you know, a little textual uh, deep dive, Ooh. if you will. Ooh. In keeping uh, with the, the theme of the, the podcast in recent uh, days, all about text, all about language, Ooh. Um, Jerome and I picked a couple texts that we just wanted to talk about, move through together, uh, maybe do a little fun exercise with and so I picked a poem um, by this incredible, really, truly incredible poet, writer, activist, Colin Robinson. Uh, he, where do I even start? Um, he is a Caribbean writer, activist. Um, excuse me, he was a Caribbean writer and activist. He passed away in 2021. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Wrote a lot about like themes of desire um and trying to express um through 
the language that he could find, you know, things about the history of race, politics, identity, especially around queerness, um, and his experience with that being Caribbean and also living in the United States for a lot of his life, too. I found out about him because, um, did you ever take a class with Jafari Allen? No, but the name is familiar. Professor at Yale, I took a class with him, and he was a really good friend of Collins and posted some of his poetry, and I was like, well, I clearly must, I must have this. <laughs> um, so I bought um, his one and only poetry collection, You Have You Father Hardhead, and have been kind of going through it slowly and steadily for the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. Um, it's good. It's so good. The poem that I chose for us today um, is called The Plural of Me. And I'll read it for you now. The Plural of Me. I want to be many things, legion, as limitless as fancy. Leave no funereal instructions to coffin my mourners. Permit family, friends, lovers, as they please, inventing memory from desire for my respectability, achievement, body parts, heavenworthiness. I am all their dreams, the conceivers, breeders, issue conspirators. No contest, please. But if public health allow my one wish, parcel my cremains like wedding cake, small ribbon-tied boxes for everyone to travel home with, stamp and spit and pee on as they curse or smear themselves to rapture, display on mantelpieces, knick-knack shelves, spilled over and tasted by a wandering cat, secret in freezers and safe deposit boxes, each embodying its owner's me. I love this poem. I'm glad. I'm so <laughs> glad. Yeah. I, I mean, I was flipping through this book of poetry uh, to find something that, what, I don't know, spoke to me for us today. Um, and this just really jumped out. It's, I don't know why, though. I don't know why yet. But this jumped out for us, for me, for us. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think there's something about, I think we've even talked about it on the podcast before about like the versions of ourselves that exist for other people. Um, and that they're like, is, you know, it, I, I feel often like, Oh, there are all these like different constructions that people have of me or like feeling like, Oh, I want to cultivate not even just like, oh, I really care what people think of me, but like thinking about how other people experience me and experience their interactions with me. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes I feel like that gets painted as like a very, not negative, but just like it feeling very burdensome to think that like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the ways that all these various people think of me. Um, when this like makes me like parcel my cremains like wedding cake, small ribbon tied boxes, like that is it just totally flips that for me. That it actually is a beautiful thing to like exist in different ways to different people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think often from for me there's like a impetus to like, how do we like merge everything into one and be, you know, feel, feel integrated or aligned or whatever so that I'm not managing, like you're saying, like different constructions of, mm -hmm. of myself. Um, but that is very limiting, you know, to really try mm -hmm. and inscribe who you are in one thing. Um, or or as one thing, um, yeah. Instead of it being 
really relationally de- dependent, you know, the, yeah, the poem hints at it uh, about family, friends, lovers, as they please, the, all the different kinds of relation um, and how that brings about different selves in the process. Yeah. I, I love, uh, leave no funereal instructions to cough in my mourners. Like, yeah, there is something about, yeah. Like once we go, like we're gone, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I kind of, I really love that. Like once it is no longer our time, then, you know, it's not about us. Interesting. I absolutely feel that. Um, And I feel like there's another strain, at least, going on there for me at the the top of the poem where he says, I want to be many things. Yeah. So it's, it's not like, you know... In in death, he stops being, or yeah, yeah. It, it gets to continue and ripple outwards, and part of that is through the mourning process. Which, I mean, it feels different to talk about knowing that that he's passed away now, um, and yeah. knowing that like we are sitting here talking about about these words and this work that he that he's left with us um, in a way that. That there are no limits to this, you know, like, and to this, what he's left behind. And actually that, that, that kind of feels like the key to, to accessing that limitlessness, right? That it is in letting go of how one is remembered that then you open yourself up to all these other ways of like being remembered and continuing to to live on and to breathe and be and like to continue to be experienced and, and kept and held by other people. Um, it's reminding me of one of the other things that I'd, we thought that we might talk about today is this book of essays by Hanif Abdiraquib called A Little Devil in America. Mm-hmm. And one of them is about, um, he was raised, he's Muslim and he was raised Muslim. Um, and he has an essay that kind of compares the funeral practices that he, like the mourning practices that he grew up with, which were very, um, I don't know what the word is, which were very minimal um versus then like learning about uh black christ like southern christian uh, funeral practices which are you know these huge affairs mm-hmm. um so I'll send you this this essay but it just makes me think about like the ways that people are remembered and it, and who it is about like is it about the person who you're remembering? Is it about the person who is it about the people who are remembering? Right. Right. Um, the, the line in the, in the poem that really speaks to that for me is inventing memory from desire for my respectability, achievement, body parts, heaven worthiness. Um, and like the ways in which, when someone has passed on, you know, people conjure up their their own images of who they are and who they would have liked them to be. Um, yeah. That's not, that's not, I don't know, there's no judgment on that in this poem. It feels like to me, he's not saying yeah. like, don't, you know, call me out of my name. Kind of like, don't say something that's not true. He's like, no, come and interpret me and experience w- yeah. whatever you have left of me after I'm, you know in a different physical form, which is, I don't know. It's like, there's not a lot of control, right? Like, sure. Which feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Or like feels atypical. Mm. I I mean, not for nothing. Here we are in black history month. And I feel like, well, particularly at this moment in our country, um, there, but also like, well, 
particularly in this moment in our country, it feels like there's a lot of attention toward like making sure that we remember things in a specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of white people who are like, we shouldn't be learning these parts of history or we shouldn't be learning history in this way because it's going to instill, you know, rivalry between races or, you know, whatever it is that people are saying. Um, and then there is a, a reaction to that that is like, no, it's really important that we learn history. Like we we learn the history of slavery and we learn the history of segregation and we learn like the history of these uh, like institutional practices. And that does kind of feel like, I mean, I, in growing up, I feel like Black History Month was a time for like, we have to learn these stories as they really, like we have to learn about who these people really were and like, these stories as they really happened. Um, but like, there is something about that that is, you know, we can never, we can never like make everyone agree to the same narrative, right. nor like, would we want to, right? Like there, there is something about that. That's like, Ooh, I don't know if like everyone should like think the same, like think the same thing and, and come away with the same conclusions. Totally. Totally. That does feel, it, it feels messy. It feels like there's a, a lot happening there. But this poem is giving me like, yeah, like an embrace of like, let invent memory, right? Like, mm-hmm. like let people, like let history continue to exist and, and grow and be what it needs to be for the people who need it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that messiness makes me think of the diaspora in general. I mean, Colin Robinson is was not born in America, was born in Trinidad, um, and then came to Yale, actually. He he went to Yale for yeah. a time and then left. Um and, you know, has has kind of lived in, in multiple places around the world in Brooklyn for a lot of his life. Um, but um, I was reading an interview with him and also just reading this collection of poetry. A lot of it's framed by the diasporic nature of his life um, mm-hmm. and also by the AIDS crisis. Um, mm. And thinking about those as like major historical forces that like his poetry kind of comes out of or like is linked to in some ways. Um, the like the scene that is in this poem really shifts at least the way I look at it like the idea of a funeral and yeah um, what what respectability or body parts has to do with someone in their death given the stigma around HIV um, and yeah. I think there's a a way when we sequester people into their boxes, mm-hmm. um, like people with AIDS, um, people with living now with HIV, queer people in general, black people throughout history, when you, when we segregate and sequester and deny people their, their pluralities that happen through mm-hmm. their relationships with all kinds of people, um, we, we cut off part of their vibrancy of their, their, their life. Right. Um, yeah. Which I think is, is important. Yeah. Um, I am all their dreams. The conceivers, breeders, issue conspirators. No contest, please. I love that. No contest, please. Mm. Like, I I can be everything for everyone as long as I don't need to do it at the same time. Mm. Kind of love that. I mean, how do you... I guess it's a personal question. Like, how do you experience <laughs> limitation with regards? I don't know. I feel like the, the things you're pulling out are, are like, like the one that you just did about the no contest, about being all things to all people. Um, I'm curious how that interacts with your own life. Not that you have to answer that, of course. <laughs> I don't know that I have a good answer right now, but it just feels like a really 
Well, it it feels like something that I often kind of feel like I'm after. Like it is communicated to me that like, you know, not everything is for everybody. Like work. And I often really do agree with that. But there is kind of a... I just really appreciate that there is a beauty and not a shame in like wanting to like even the phrases that I'm trying to come up with like are kind of have a negative connotation like people pleasing right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. but like wanting to be kind and and to be positive with all sorts of people like wanting to like be able to interact with all sorts of people and like be be thought highly of by many people i think is mm. cool yeah or it could be <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if there's a difference between like being all things to all people or being all that people see in you ooh see 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 <laughs> okay there it is <laughs> um because I, that line, I, I am all their dreams, is like, a, it is still a statement of identity. It's just like absolutely mm-hmm. expansive and limitless. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, love, I love that. Getting to yeah. be, there, and it, it kind of gets into the material nature. Dreams is very like thoughts, dreams, wishes, um, immaterial. But in the latter half of the poem, it gets really embodied right like yeah to stand yeah. and to spit and to pee um tasted by a wandering cat like to be incorporated into another being i mean that's like that kind of makes me uncomfortable a little bit when it gets yeah. to the body of of who i am and like how close am i allowed to be or do i feel comfortable being with other bodies that that is an area of limitation that like i definitely feel of like physical, physical limit of, of myself that this pushes against while also pushing against the like conceptual and material limits of ourselves. Yeah. I also definitely pick up on like a, a sadness or like a, a longing in the poem of wanting to be many things, but maybe not thinking that you can be many things within your lifetime. Mm. you know being constrained by social stigma being constrained by living with disease being constrained by all the things that black and brown queer people are constrained by um and it's like well maybe if it's not within my lifetime maybe it can be beyond my lifetime yeah Um, yeah that like in in death we are granted freedom from the body, not just in the ways that like uh, all the things you're describing that are done onto bodies, but also that like there are ways to exist outside of the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are ways to exist outside of the body. Yeah. Well, thanks for reading this with me. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it for us to read. Absolutely. Love this. Love this text. What's up next? So I selected something from a book that I was given a few years ago called Negro Land um, by a writer, Margot Jefferson. She says that it's a memoir, um, but it really is like so many things to me. Um, It is poetry and it is memoir, but it's also historical it's um really a fabulous book and it it is about she is from chicago um and it is about a kind of upper upper class black society in america um and kind of where that comes from and her experience there but then also like the failings of of that as a construct um and it also is about queerness and it's about uh, colorism and it's, it's just about so many things that I, and I think it's really fantastic. Um, 
there is one uh this part that I'm about to read is from a chapter where she's talking about uh, this woman, Charlotte Hawkins Brown, who uh, in the very beginning of the 20th century uh, had started this school for, for black girls, um, kind of like a finishing school for black girls. And uh, the ways that in this book, Brown uh, is upholding a lot of like standards of, respectability and like it's important that like poor black folks in the south are able to learn how to act uh, like members of polite society of of white polite society Mm. um and one of the people that she points to is uh marion anderson um and she finishes this chapter with this little bit about marion anderson at the lincoln memorial The finished statue of Abraham Lincoln is 19 feet tall and carved from 28 blocks of white Georgia marble. The French had special lighting installed to enhance the figure of the man born in a Kentucky log cabin. The finished portrait of Marian Anderson is 5 feet 10 inches of brown flesh mounted on white bone, originating in a modest section of Philadelphia and smoothed and polished in the capitals of Europe. The president who saved the Union wears a suit, vest, and bow tie. The woman who reaffirms the Union's highest purpose wears a black mink coat, a hat, and a jeweled scarf of orange and yellow, key tones in the Negro skin palette. He sits legs four square and apart, as if he could shelter the whole world between them. The premier contralto of her people stands waiting for her cue to become immortal. Above his heads are carved the words, In this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the Union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. The piano sounds the introduction. She fingers her necklace and arranges her head to look upon the throngs. From the lips of, quote, a daughter of the race from which he struck the chains of slavery, come the words, My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. And right then, enshrined forever in our memories, is the change she makes. Of thee I sing becomes to thee we sing. The singular pronoun of a sheltered citizen becomes the plural pronoun of an embattled people who must address, speak to, not possess, speak of, their country. She wasn't allowed a singular identity, except when she sang. There you could hear her stroking, savoring tones and syllables in a private ecstasy. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, I was like closing my eyes and just playing the images um yeah while you were reading so good so good um i i guess as an additional as additional context um marion anderson was a a black opera singer um and she or a black classical singer uh and uh, there was a uh, uh, performance venue at in Washington D.C. called Constitution Hall, D.A.R. Constitution Hall, um, which was the Daughters of the American Revolution. They like owned this uh, this performance venue, and they uh, would not let Marian Anderson sing in the concert hall because she's black, and it was you know the 1930s, um, and so. Uh, Instead of singing in the concert hall, she ends up singing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial um, to what ended up being many, many, many more people um, and was not, like, really a regular thing for people. That wasn't, like, a thing that people just did. Um, And it is from there that, like, later Martin Luther King gives the I Have a Dream speech. Like, you know, there are then all these resonances of Marian Anderson. 
Did you grow up knowing about Marian Anderson? Um, I was probably in like early middle school when I first learned who she was. Word. Did you? I think, well, yes, I did. Um, and I think it's because my mom's mom, my grandma, and her siblings and my great-grandmother on that side um, were just like big music people. Um, and so they were big Marion fans, like <laughs> not, not at like at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so her, yeah, just like her, my family's a big singing family. And so her name just like would come up just like talking about singers that people liked when extended family was together. Um, but it did take me a while to figure out like, oh, so that's not a person that you're talking about currently, but it's actually a very important historical figure. Okay. <laughs> There's something about that, that last line, that last phrase, private ecstasy, that really gets me every time. <laughs> um, and maybe, maybe it's because I, I identify as a singer a little bit, but just the image of standing on the steps of this, in, this huge monument, which is a public space, right? And you're giving a public performance outside, exposed. Like, there's all this exposure. Mm -hmm. And even, like, on the, in the innermost part of that, there's, like, this private experience that we're really all getting to witness um, as, as listeners and now as, as readers, you know? all these many yeah. years later. Um, that's just so sacred to me. Um, yeah. I almost don't even have more words for it. <laughs> well, that, that is mirroring to me, like, and this, is, this feels really complicated, but that, like, what Margaret Jefferson is saying here, it, it feels to me, is that in so many ways, black people were, like, were flattened, right? Like all black people are the same. They all, uh, they, they all are thought to have the same skills and the same abilities and deserving of the same treatment, et cetera. Um, that they are interchangeable. Um, but that Marian Anderson had through her singing, like, because of the power of of singing as as you just alluded to like had like she's able to communicate this really unique personal individual expression that like made white people like understand her individually because that's what singing is like that's what that's what singing is that's what music is um but like that is so complicated to me because like in the context of um, that there were so many people at the time who were like, oh, we need to be good in these specific ways, we being black people, like we need to be good and excel and prove ourselves in these specific ways so that we will be seen as different. So we will be seen as individual, as not deserving of the treatment that black people so often get. Like we need to set ourselves apart in order to, to find freedom that way. Um, which I don't think is right. Mm. Like I understand that as a tactic that people used, that people certainly still continue to use, but that that's not right. <laughs> the issue is that like black people shouldn't be seen that way in general. Like that black people shouldn't be seen in general mm -hmm. as, as a general. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I totally, I hear what you're saying and I agree with you looking from where I sit right now. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it gets so much more complicated to, to really go back through and sit in that mm -hmm. historical context where like, okay, if there are no black people in government, if there is no mainstream representation, if there is, like, if the seats of power 
culturally, politically, economically, et cetera, like really are like are <laughs> you're locked out of them. What do you, can you is there an alternative to appealing to the existing power structure to to get some agency? Yeah. Um and I mean, I guess historically you do see some people with alternatives like um Pan-Africanism and Marcus Garvey and it's like, let's absolutely get out of here then. <laughs> like, yeah, this place is not for us. So good night and good luck. But there is something. And I mean, of course, again, I'm biased as a musician, <laughs> as a singer too. I just think there's something. The creative creativity is just like that girl for me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you are locked out of things when you are disinvited from the the venue to literally perform like the spirit of creativity and of like making making beautiful things in terrible context yeah it's like that's i don't know i feel like that's what that's what we have and that's what black people throughout history have shown is like it's really uh, an awesome thing about being human is that like we can be re- truly generative and creative. And like this performance on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, like would not have happened without that creativity of hers. Yeah. And the result is something that is so much greater, like has, has reached so many more people. Her singing was like broadcast on the radio. And so like suddenly so many more people can bear witness to that. Yeah. The images that um, the author sets up of like, here we have this huge monument that is white of this white person who we have agreed has saved us (laughs) as a country, (laughs) LOL. (laughs) And the image of the portrait of Marin Anderson that, at least in my mind's eye when I saw it, was like very, it was like private. It was like dimly lit. It was like... It it was off to 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 a side. I don't know the the first time, the first time that I read this passage, I was like, no, like, like why aren't we currently uplifting Marian Anderson kind of in a similar way? Like, where are the statues? Where where is the day? Where is the parade? Um, yeah. At the same time, the private ecstasy line gets me, of of like. Hmm. Like how how big can can something get? Can um, our movements towards freedom get and still maintain a sort of integrity and a sort of like sacredness and specificity that is needed? Wow. Yeah, it is. I think really fascinating. Like that, you know, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves work, but and. Uh, Marian Anderson also like freed people in what she did. Yeah. yeah. And like who she was who she was able to be and what she was able to do and how people were able to bear witness to that. That that was that was a freeing too. Mm. Mm. Thoughts on the of the we sing, to the we sing. Of the I sing, excuse me. To the we sing. Well, I think that, I think Jefferson puts it really brilliantly. Like, that it is about addressing instead of possessing. That, like, I've got something to say. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. um, and that that feels more at hand. That feels more important to contend with than to just jump to, okay, yeah, we're all the same. Like we all own this together. Like this is all us, all of us Americans. We are in this together. Um, To say like, I have something to say. Very lift every voice. It's very lift every voice. And I, I love that. And the, the shift away from possession is like, is very, I think of it as like a, 
master's tools, master's house sort of thing, mm. where it's like, yes, the paradigm has been dominated by ideas of ownership and possession. And that's not yeah. that's not how I, Marian Anderson, am going to play this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are other orientations. And that even in her in her individual moment, even in her uh like singular, like we're lifting up this one person who is so unique, right? That she's like, No, I actually am still part of a collective. Mm-hmm. I am not independent of the communities that I'm a part of and like where I'm from. And we have something to say. Kenyon, shall we move into our little activity with our our pieces? Yes. So I figured that we would do something, knowing that we were each bringing a piece of writing, um, I figured we would do uh, a little spiritual practice called Florilegia, um, which I've learned about on the podcast Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Uh, and it's about treating a text like a garden being full of flowers flora and that there's beauty everywhere that you could pick up any any little something and it would be it would be full of beauty for us to to beauty and value for us to find um so the way that this works is that we each have picked a phrase a sentence a bit from the the text that we brought um, and we're going to put them together and see what they say together. And then we'll flip them the other way around and see what that says. Woo! <laughs> Kenya, what did you pick? I picked parcel my cremains. Just those words. Parcel my cremains. I picked the woman who reaffirms the union's highest purpose wears a black mink coat, a hat, and a jeweled scarf of orange and yellow. Whoa. The connections. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to read them together, yours first, then mine, and then we'll see what that says. Okay, great. Parcel my cremains. The woman who reaffirms the union's highest purpose wears a black mink coat, a hat, and a jeweled scarf of orange and yellow. Mm. Okay, I've never participated in an exercise like this um, or in this particular kind of exercise. Um, we just kind of like read read out of this this new text, new meanings. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Where has this been for me? Oh my gosh. The parcel up front makes me like take each object as distinct that comes yeah. afterwards. Um, woman who reaffirmed the union and we've got articles of clothing and like each one becomes a sort of like object that is really a, a portal to like a whole <laughs> experience. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about um, that, that these are articles of, of clothing and I'm thinking about cremains. And so to me, it's almost like, like there's the body and then there's what the body is, is in, mm. which is honestly, it feels like it's coming back to the corporeal versus the other ways that we exist outside of the body. So like, like parcel my cremains, like take away the body. And then you have these other like mm. dressings that are left behind while the body's off doing something else. Mm, I love that. While the body's off doing something else. Because, <laughs> like, sometimes sometimes it would be nice to, like, I don't know, to, to be that body off doing something else yeah. without, like, having a visible form, but to still be a body. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it almost is making me think of, like, like two kids in a in a trench coat and while they're like sitting in i don't know while while they're sitting in my meeting i'm you know yes. going on a walk 
Absolutely. Very don't perceive me. <laughs> yeah. So like while while the while the clothes are there physically at the Lincoln Memorial, like mm. Marian Anderson is actually in the airwaves. She's in the hearts of all yes. the listeners. Like she's freeing the people. In her private ecstasy. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do it the other way around. And we'll see what we get. The woman who reaffirms the union's highest purpose wears a black mink coat, a hat, and a jeweled scarf of orange and yellow. Parcel Mike remains. Okay, to me, that time, she's saying parcel Mike remains. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's like, after she's reaffirmed the union's highest purpose, she is saying, okay, now that that's done, here's what's next. Or here's what I want you to do. I want you to post my remains. Yeah. And that, like, op- like, opens me back into the rest of, honestly, the Colin Robinson poem of, like, mm-hmm. Marian Anderson is a person who is no longer with us in that form, but, like, is with us in, in, in immeasurable and innumerable, innumerable other ways. Like, are we taking care of those yeah. parcels? Um, yeah. Do we... Are we noticing them? Are we recognizing them? That's really lovely. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> we'll have to do some more. More text. More text. Mm. Um, we'll have to do some more. This was very fun. Yeah. To uh, discuss some text. Yeah, this is great. Making me like words again. Hey, we love that. <laughs> we love that you love we love that this podcast is brought to you by jerome that's me and kenyon that's him with music by sophia campomore and art by griffin keller drop us a line at we love that podcast at gmail.com bye you said funeral and it's funereal well you should have stopped me right then and there <laughs> Because we're going to have to read this whole thing again. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it, and then we were away from it, and I was giving... Well, it would be silly to stop him now, wouldn't it? I love how I made my mistake your mistake, see? Well, that's true. (laughs) And that's the plural of you. (laughs) There's the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go again.